Good afternoon. It is Friday, March 28th, and this is Chick Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and we have got a real treat today. We've got a, a little bit different kind of a topic. Uh, we always interview authors on our show, but this particular one uh, is telling a very, very personal story about her relationship with her mentor. And our guest today is Dr. Molly Marty, and the book that she wrote is called Walking with Justice. And the subtitle for the book is Uncommon Lessons from One of Life's Greatest Mentors. And, you know, Molly, everybody says something like that. I've got to tell you, after reading this book, I am absolutely convinced that you did, in fact, sit under one of the greatest mentors. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. Molly, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of a snapshot of you and then... uh, You know, as we walk through, uh, you know, talking about some of the stories in the book, and and you clerked uh, under a very, very uh, famous uh, judge, and I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about the mechanics of that whole process, because I found as I was reading the book, you know, I didn't really understand this clerkship thing and how important it was. And uh, so why don't you give us the snapshot of you as as an individual and then how you came uh, into this incredible opportunity uh, to sit at his feet. Sure. And as I share in the book, I didn't really understand the the clerkship process, and I was a a law student at the time. By training, I'm a lawyer, um, have a master's and a Ph.D. in uh, personality and social psychology as well. And this book goes back to those young lawyer days, and I was – walking down the hallway of uh, the faculty hallway of the Iowa Law School, and one of my professors, he was my law review advisor, he pulled me into his office and he said, Molly, I have two things to say to you. Number one, you need to apply for a federal clerkship. And number two, you need to apply to Judge Max Rosen. He himself had clerked for Judge Rosen nearly 20 years before. And so I asked the same thing you are asking today. What is a clerkship and why does it matter and who is this man? And so I was really educated that uh, clerkship is kind of considered the creme de la creme. You need to have the grades. You need to jump the hoops with either law review or mock court. Um, You need to have um, law professors or advisors, their letters of recommendation. And so uh, it set me on a path to apply for these federal clerkships. And the federal courts, they're circuit courts that sit underneath the U.S. Supreme Court. And the, uh, it's really the appellate courts or the circuit courts that decide um, nearly 95% of the law in this country because the U.S. Supreme Court grants cert on so few cases. So they just right. accept the appellate court. So it's a pretty uh, prestigious level. It's a fascinating job as far as the day-to-day. I'm really become a mini-expert on all of these areas of law, everything from property to torts to constitutional issues, Um, I found it very intriguing being from the Midwest, this Iowa girl, to go out to the Third Circuit because there were a lot of mafia cases, um, a lot of things I just hadn't been exposed to. And I would study the trial court and what both parties were saying, read their briefs, read uh, what the district court had decided, and then I would write about a 20, 25-page bench memo setting forth all the arguments, all the law, and uh, Judge Rosen had us actually resolve the case as if we were sitting uh, as a judge and he wanted uh, us to get into that practice of really going all the way to um, justify what our decision was and why. And so it was tremendously intellectually stimulating. 
And, and we haven't even talked about Judge Rosen as the man uh, himself and as right. a mentor. But that's a, a snapshot of what it know, to be a judicial clerk. Did you know clerk. who he was before you started? I mean, did you, uh, did you know of his reputation and, and how well he was regarded? Uh, I He had visited Iowa Law School as a judge in residence, so a lot of my professors were familiar with him. Um, but I didn't realize uh, he was and he remains one of the top-cited um, jurists in our nation's history. He uh, is very well cited and considered um, a, a, um, a scholar of the law. Right. I think the amazing thing, as as I read the book, and, and I was uh, sharing before we got on the air, I actually took it with me on a, a two-week mission trip to Poland that I went on with, with my 16-year-old daughter. And uh, it, it was the way that I wound down at night is, is reading this story, and it was so engaging because he drew you not only into his um, his judgeship and, and all of the, the roles that you had professionally, but you were really treated in so many ways like a part of the family. Yes, he took his clerks under his wings, and, and he also took uh, their spouses or their partners under his wings, and he truly um, made you a part of the Rosen family and the part of the um, Wilkes-Barre community. And that was so important because that was one of his messages to us, really that first week of walking into his chambers is, you know, you have been a student. And um, he said two things to me that really stood out. And the first was, you didn't get to my chambers without the help of a long list of people. I know that you had help. You had uh, parents and family. You had financial help. You had professors who invested in you or went that extra mile. Um, really think about all of the people that have helped you and go back and thank them. So it was a, a lesson of gratitude. And the second thing he said, which drew us into that community, is you have been on the receiving end as a student. That's just what students do. They take, they receive, they learn. And, and now you're a lawyer, and you are a member of this community, and you have skills that are needed right now. So it's time for you to step into that leadership role to look at the needs in front of you and see how you want to serve and to help because that's, that's part of what being a lawyer is and being a professional is. And so he was instrumental in really helping me um, become a steward that went so far beyond my personal life or my church life or my family and, and really taught me that whatever our profession is, that can be and needs to be an integral part of it. Right. And, and so what he, he did was about helping uh, each of you who were working for him really to thrive, but you hit the nail on the head that service was was just such a key part of who he was. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about servant leadership and, and really setting that model of being willing to do whatever it takes uh, not only to get the job done, to make sure that those people around you who have uh, missions that they have to accomplish, that you give them what they need as well. And, you know, he just was the embodiment uh, to me of servant leadership. He truly was, and it's pretty interesting that I hadn't uh, been a, a student of servant leadership at the time I wrote this book, and then I um, and I called him a servant mentor in the book, and that right. was really trying to sum up my best description of him. And then um, I started to look at servant leadership and, and see that they were describing him and how he lived and how he taught uh, by example. 
And so I, I find it really interesting uh, the way that this book maps on to a lot of the um, scholarship in servant leadership. Now, why don't you give us a little bit of the background of how you came to write this book? Because the book is written uh, in retrospect, clearly, and and actually uh, throughout the story, you've woven the things that his own sons were saying, you know, as a part of the eulogy uh, when he passed. So, tell us a little bit about how you came to actually write the book. Uh, that tells as much your story as it does his, but really how they were woven together. Sure. Um, I would say two memories are really vivid when I think about writing this book or, or the genesis of this book. And the first one, I talk about early on in the book where um, Judge passed away and my husband and I were trying to do everything we could to get from Iowa to Pennsylvania to attend his services. We had three young children. We were finding care for them. And um, there were no direct flights, and so our best opportunity was to hop into a car about 8 o'clock at night and drive the um, 14, 16 hours to Pennsylvania. And um, we missed his funeral, and we showed up right uh, at the end of it. And and I was sitting in the car with my husband, just completely heartbroken that I had missed Mm -hmm. my mentor's uh, services. And the doors to the synagogue open, and... Hundreds after hundreds of people started filing out of the synagogue. There were um, close to, I think, 800 people that attended his funeral. And so I saw um, his family, of course, the Supreme Court justice, several Third Circuit and District Court judges, lawyers from the law firm that he had founded, uh, my co-clerks, dozens of uh, lawyers who had studied by his side as young lawyers, and, and then hundreds of community members that were there, in in gratitude and in respect and in admiration and just wave after wave of watching these people uh, come out of those doors was such a beautiful living testament to my mentor's life and his um, esteem and his impact and uh, I, I made a silent promise it felt sacred at the time to judge that I recognized how my life had been shaped by him in so many ways and I knew what a gift it was and I and I made a promise to him that I would use that gift so that others' lives would be better for my having been mentored by him. Right. So that's you know, I think the nucleus but at that time I wasn't seeing a book, I, I wasn't um making a promise I would write a book. That just wasn't part of that, but it was his commitment I would live out um his leadership and mentorship and, and be true to that and just um honor the gift that I knew that I had been given. And right. then um, six years ago, I had a very serious uh, heart condition, a cardiac virus. And I write about that in the prologue because, as you mentioned, the book itself is housed in the judges, um, the eulogies of Judges' Two Sons. So you, as you read the book, attend his funeral, and then I have flashbacks to um, experiences that shaped him or times of him mentoring me or mentoring others. But I wanted to kind of include a little bit more of my story in that prologue and um, or in the epilogue. And I talked about this um, heart virus. And at times through that, um, I lost my ability to walk and to talk. I lost my vision. And um, I thought I was living a very, very intentional life at that time. And yet uh, this rose to the surface with such clarity mm. about my greatest um, creative regret. I thought I cannot die without having put down in words uh, judges' life lessons. And 
Right. Um, and so I, I made a commitment as I'm laying in, in bed at that time that if uh, I got better, that this would be my first creative priority. And, and what happened is as I gained enough strength to get back to writing and, and revisiting his life, um, the process of writing this book actually helped heal and strengthen me. So it, it was... Uh, um, yeah. It was one more thing I'm so grateful for that I was called to write this book, and then it ended up that Judge kind of came back and, and helped uh, see me through that challenge I was facing. Right, right. Now, did they record his funeral? How you were such clarity on drafts of, of their comments? When I missed the funeral, I was, of course, very close to the Rosen family, as you mentioned. We became part of the family, and so I knew his sons and his brother, Harold, who practiced law there, um, who's still alive, 96 years old, out in Pennsylvania. Wow. So I still go out to see him and um, his best friend, Joe Savitz. I talk a lot about Joe, and um, Joe is still in Pennsylvania, so I, I visit him. Um, so this is, yeah, this book you mentioned at the beginning is is personal, and it is. It's it's my life. It's the early years of marriage uh, with Monty and I. It's my formation as a as a professional and as a servant leader. Um, so it, it is a very, um, it's a story very close to my heart. And so right. uh, the Rosens gave me copies of the eulogy because we had that discussion um, about how sad I was that I missed the um, funeral. And then when I... Uh, so I had those in my records, and then when I went back to write this book and I pulled that up, I thought, oh, there's the structure of the book. My readers can attend the funeral and get a glimpse yes. of who this man was, and then I will flesh it out with uh, stories. Well, and one of the most touching things uh, throughout the story is, you know, you weave in his relationship with his wife and and the incredible uh, love that he had for her, and she, uh, of course, uh, throughout the course of the book, you tell the story of her illness, and and he ends up losing her. And um, you know, it it seemed to me as a reader, uh, Molly, that you were really trying to model your own marriage because, as you said, you you were uh, married when when you uh, met him, and and he really saw you through uh, a lot of your own growth uh, on that personal side as well as the professional side. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Tilly, uh, his wife, was just a, a fireball, and um, she appears throughout the book. Early on in my clerkship, um, he got noticed uh, after she was ill and uh, went to the doctors that she had pancreatic cancer, and it was terminal. And so um, that was part of that first year is watching how Judge um, walked that out with her and um, right and her death, and then how he carried on. And so I, I don't even think I, I use the word resilience, which is uh, where I spend so much of my professional time today, um, but it really was lessons in resilience and lessons in connection and lessons in meaning and how he continued um, to uh, receive the, the love and support of his family and his friends. And um, it was an incredible uh, gift to, to watch that as a young uh, professional and then to see his appreciation for Tilly's intelligence and character and, and strength of spirit. They were they right. were different but complementary. And at one point, I think I tell the story of how he was looking at uh, photos in his chambers of them together in her younger days. And he had said, you know, I thought that what mattered, I was attracted to her and, you know, how she looked and she was a beautiful woman. Um, but 
he found out what really mattered was her her strength of character and her values and um, right. so he would say things like that to me that um, he never lectured. He never said, you know, what's really important with your marriage or you need to do this with Monty. <laughs> um, he, would just, he would just reflect or talk or speak or share a story, and it would just land on my heart. I go, oh, you know, that, mm. that's what matters. That, I, I will take this forward with me, and I will integrate this into who I want to be. And so um, his relationship with Tilly definitely brought me lessons and i and i love the um you know she kept him humble he was a very humble one of the most humble men uh, that i've ever met but she would say things after he would be celebrated and um you know i saw everything from portraits to law libraries to a whole federal building dedicated in his name while he was alive he went to work every day in a courthouse that was renamed the max rosen federal building Mm -hmm. so this is the type of uh, celebration and i call them living eulogies that he experienced and so after the clerks would fawn all over him or he'd be celebrated in that way uh, she would say things like great what do I do now with this pancake now that he's all drip, dripping with syrup? You know, <laughs> I need to take him home. <laughs> so she had um, just a great sense of humor, and um, it, it was just a, a wonderful thing. My mother uh, died before I was married, and I had a great example of my mom and dad uh, growing up, but um, she wasn't there, you know, for me as a newlywed. And to have a judge and Tilly in my life uh, was a wonderful gift. Well, I love uh, one of the quotes that you have in the book, and I don't recall whether it's yours or, or one of the sons. It's, Judge's life stands as a reminder that each day we write our eulogy. We continue shaping our legacy until our final day. It's the choices we make in the little things when no one's watching that set our course, and we can choose good or evil, love or hatred, generosity or selfishness. And we were talking a little bit before we went on the air about our, our kids because we happen to have uh, children that uh, at least uh, the, the younger ones, your children are the same identical age as mine. And my, my youngest one is, is a boy. And, and we struggle with a, a lot of these things. And, and, you know, the whole issue of choice and understanding the consequences of your choices. So as I was reading through you know, we always read books with our own perspective. I mean, maybe we're reading it to learn about the person that you're writing about. or You know, but for me, the frame of mind I was in was how can I be a better mother to my son? And so I was gleaning, you know, the, the pearls of wisdom, not as a mentor to professional people, but really as a mentor to my son. So uh, I don't know if anyone has ever shared that perspective with you of, of but they gleaned, but I was taking each one of those things and trying to figure out how I can apply it to, you know, the daily dialogue, it seems, that we have about truth and choice and consequences. Without a doubt, and I and I love that feedback as a parent, um, and I do hear that this book made me not only a better leader, but a better parent and a better spouse mm-hmm. and, and, you know, a better person. But um, that was, that came from near the end of the book and, and me really summing up um, the kind of the bigger takeaway, and, and that does come down um, at the end of each of these chapters. I have a, a lesson, and th- those are these uncommon lessons. And from that chapter, uh, the lesson was our power lies in our small daily choices, one after another, to create eternal ripples of a life well lived. And I was talking about um, all those choices mm-hmm. Judge had made that I had um, shared in story through the book, but how he chose 
honesty and he chose to live righteously and he chose to invest in his relationships and he chose daily renewal. He chose to strengthen himself. He lived to age 96. Um, I, I talked about those things I thought were funny when I was a, a young lawyer. He took a daily nap and how um, <laughs> he ate healthily and he exercised and he expected that uh, from his clerks and he would arrange memberships at local exercise clubs and um, and and then the thing he chose, I think, most relentlessly was to work toward a more just world. And uh, he shared that, that daily prayer that he said, um, asking God to help him make a contribution to a more just and peaceful world. And it was just a, a simple daily prayer, but it, it so summed up um, who he was and what he was most passionate about. But he certainly... Um, chose to amass riches. He certainly had the the fortune of the world as well and what one would consider power, Um, but he amassed riches that would outlast, have outlast, and will continue to outlast uh, his days on earth. Right, right. Well, I think, you know, the interesting thing, and and you used the term humility, and that really is, to me, the absence of the abuse of power in this particular case, right? He had every right uh, to wield his power, um, you know, in in many different ways. But he elected uh, quite the opposite of that, which, again, is that servant mentorship and servant leadership characteristic of the real power comes in serving, which that makes zero sense, <laughs> you know, it, to to our rational mind. It's like how can you give up who you are and somehow end up even more powerful than if you uh, wielded that power. Yeah, and I thought a lot about humility um, when writing this because I, you know, I, I thought I'd talk about his humility. I say he's humble. I describe him as that. What does that mean? And, you know, it struck me that he never said, I'm humbled. We hear that often when, when people are celebrated. Um, right. He often said, I'm honored. And he taught me that humility doesn't mean thinking less about ourselves, but it means really about not thinking about ourselves and and looking at what we're receiving from others, the gifts that right. they're bestowing upon you, and reflecting those back. And so in that right. um, chapter, I think I call it Humility and Honor, I talk a lot about um, those living eulogies and, and what I experienced as I watched him um, so graciously thank people for for how they are honoring him but really turning it around and uh, serving as a mirror and sending it back to them and the takeaway lesson from that chapter is uh let others see their own greatness when looking in your eyes Mm. and that's what judge did day in and day out right and again uh, you know i'm i'm thinking again with my parents mind you know that's such i i told my son you know who who is 13 just going on 14 um, he made the comment the other day that, oh, this summer I'm going to become great at tennis. And I said, you know, Sergey, maybe if you would just say, I'm going to work really hard at tennis this summer, then when you do achieve some level of greatness, someone can actually observe that. So we're we're learning the, you know, the, the teenage humility, which is hard, you know, when he wants to be loved for who he is. And, you know, so it's just so great. I, I love that last uh, statement you made about about the reflection. And I think, you know, really that's what, what legacy is. And leaving a legacy 
is uh, allowing people to remember how they felt when they were with you, really. Uh, And that's what everything that you wrote about, uh, Judge Rosen, um, you know, it really emanated that because you always described his impact on other people and and the growth and, and, uh, you know, the self-assurance that he instilled in people, you know, just by being around him. And I remember um, saying, too, in that chapter that, you know, I, I couldn't write every specific word that he spoke during those living eulogies, but what I carried forward was um, how it felt in my heart and how I could see that he made every uh, person in the audience feel. And then I, I said, um, I carry with me to this day his elegance and his wisdom, which stirred my soul. His humorous quips mm. delighted it, and his humility inspired it. And that's really what I carried forward. Well, Molly, the the book has been referred to as a timeless handbook for being human. And you know, for anyone who is is put off by the you know the topic of the law and the you know the the more specific things as it relates to the judgeship and the clerkship, really, this book is uh, just an amazing. I mean, I, I I just have to say it in the same way, uh, a handbook for being human. And and really uh, a handbook for how how to give and everything that you do. And um, I think you know my my good friend Bob Berg, uh, who was one of the co-authors of a, the book The Go Giver. And I was listening to him on on a call earlier this week talking about um, how sometimes for those who give, one of the hardest things to do is to receive. And uh, you just shared with us a little bit about how, how the judge actually receives when people were giving him compliments and trying to honor him. Um, I think that the way I would like to close our interview today, uh, Molly, is, is to talk about the path that you've taken uh, you know, since recovering uh, from your illness and since writing the book. Your law degree and your experience working uh, for him, you really could have done just about anything that you wanted. And and you have elected, uh, you know, to sew back into others, um, you know, in, in your current business. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and um, tell our listeners how they could get in touch with you if they uh, – I know that you do uh, public speaking and, um, you know, you do have um, a consulting practice. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I do, uh, my motto is kind of help leaders thrive and serve, and it will always have that resilience, uh, renewal aspect uh, that I bring as a performance psychologist, and uh, the service, the servant leadership aspect uh, that um, my heart ticks differently after my time with Judge, and and that can't not be part of it. So uh, that's my work in in speaking and consulting and and sharing the life lessons of Judge Rosen. where I'm spending a lot of my time, it started three years ago when our community lost three uh, teens to suicide within six months. This book was actually in manuscript form, and I'd set it aside because there were a lot of demands, helping my own three children through those dynamics and being at the school and helping uh, teachers and students and, and just my own grief. It was, um, you can imagine, incredibly traumatic and demanding. And um, so I'd set the book aside, and I came home after I'd been at school one day, and I saw the book sitting there, and I and I was ready to get back to it. And I think right. that looking back on that now, I, I think I was just wanting time with Judge. I just needed his wisdom and um, his love. And so I, I brewed a pot of tea, and I opened the book back up to where I had left off. 
And I found myself reading what I had written about some of his leadership lessons. And those words uh, were meant for me that day. It, it is so mm. ironic that I wrote them because I, it didn't feel like I had written them, and they were written for me. And Judge uh, was saying that true leaders um, understand that leadership isn't about them. It's not about them having all the answers. It's not about them being in charge. It's about them looking at the needs in front of them and asking, do I have something unique that can bring healing and help and wholeness? Do I have education or connections or um, experience or skills? And I uh, started asking myself that question, and it was so apparent as a resiliency researcher, as a mother, as a member of this community, that I needed to step in and um, help my community just find its way forward. And so that was the beginning of the Community Resiliency Project. Um, did a lot of work in that community um, and continue over the past few years and um, have been um, now organized as a nonprofit. And I serve as volunteer CEO of uh, the Community Resiliency Project, continue to do that, have an incredible board of people that advise and guide us. And um, just this week, two more emails from schools. One, uh, a school with teens, a lot of teens that are um, attempting suicide, and another school that isn't, but they don't want, you know, they want to be proactive, which just warms my right. heart. Um, but we are uh, working with counselors and nurses and nonprofits and youth builders. Um, it's been about two years in the research. I'm a research geek, and I put together a model of wholeness. Uh, what do kids need to thrive? It's really what do humans need to thrive, and um, of and so it's a model in which um, we can build wholeness and resiliency, and um, and then community-wise and school-wise, really change the norms of of hope and help-seeking and wholeness. So that's what I'm doing, um, directly related to this book. I, I I know at times, and I said to my husband early on, if I never sell a copy of this book, I now know why I wrote it. I wrote it so that I right. would be led to this work to help teenagers and communities. Um, fortunately, the book is getting into people's hands as well, and, and that's a wonderful thing for me to share my mentor with others. Um, you mentioned oh, Bob definitely. Berg. That, that was actually Bob's quote, the handbook for being human, and I want to acknowledge him on that. Um, Bob was the first one to, to give me that gift. He served as a mirror to me to say thank you for sharing your mentor with me. Um, I only wish mm. I knew Judge, but he's right, my mentor right. now too, and that um, was a wonderful gift from Bob. Well, Bob was one of the first interviews that I did when I started my radio show, so he has been uh, an important thread uh, through my professional career, uh, and uh, I consider him one of my mentors. So it's it's nice how how this thread goes, um, you know, as I look at uh, his network of people. I actually have a group on Facebook called my Bob Burke Friends, because you know how you look through and you think, well, how do I know that person? Sure. But I set up... I can say these things that sound so very true, but this is a friend of mine because uh, of how it binds people together. And again, I think he's an incredible legacy of teaching us how to put that. So, um, well, Molly, can you let folks know how, how to reach you and, and where they can read uh, more about you and your philosophies and uh, how they can get involved? Sure. Uh, Walking with Justice has a site, walkingwithjustice.com. Um, I'm available at drmollie.com, drmolly.com. And our project, um, communityresiliencyproject.org, is shortened up to crproject.org. 
Um, I'm available on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, and um, welcome anybody to connect with me there and reach out. So if you just search my name um, too, you'll find you'll find your I think a path to me, whatever works for you as a listener. Oh, and I, I look forward to um, connecting. I, I well, one thing I've I really missed. I guess I want to say this: I really missed over the past few years of doing the um, nonprofit work. I used to host events a lot, and um, I hit January, and I thought, I so miss that. So I'm putting a few more events back into my life. Um, I'm hosting a retreat in May. Um, Our project is having a a conference in September, Um, but I'm excited about that. So if you're interested in in coming and meeting with me live, uh, there's some opportunities there as well. Oh, terrific. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart, your life, and your mentor uh, with us today. And I just I encourage folks who just need uh, just some crystal clear life direction. Uh, this book provides so much practical insight. Uh, you know, even in, in you know kind of overhearing your life uh, in the very very personal way that you do the storytelling. Um, I, I think whoever reads this book will be enriched, no matter their motive for for reading. So. Um, Again, the book is Walking with Justice, and our guest has been Dr. Molly Marty, and this has been the Executive Girlfriends Group. And if you'd like to know more about us, uh, I'm Barry Executive Girlfriends Group on Facebook or executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. Thanks for joining us, and Molly, I hope you have a terrific weekend. You too, Chickie. Thank you.